A dance CEO thrives every day with focus on gratitude, growth, and feeling aligned. Unapologetically putting themselves first, striving to become their best self personally and professionally, creating their own definition of fulfillment and success, rejecting the starving artist mentality and competition mindset for one of abundance in all things, including the success of other dance business owners. Welcome to the Dance CEO Podcast. Hello, I'm Audra Allen, the Dance CEO Coach, lifelong dancer, choreographer, and educator, I'm a happily remarried, part-time mom of two little humans and three bonus little humans, proud thriver of adult-diagnosed ADHD, lover of the beach, travel, houseplants, reading, and your host for today's episode. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have Nicole Perry here, the founder of Momentum Stage. Nicole is a certified Laban movement analyst in South Florida. She combines the system with her love of pedagogy to her work as a dance instructor at the University of Miami. Momentum Stage provides professional development opportunities for teachers of dance and drama at all levels. She is passionate about providing resources and opportunities for teachers to learn and be supported. And additionally, Nicole is a certified intimacy director coordinator, and she has memberships with the Stage Directors and Choreography Society and Association of Theater Movement Educators. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am as well. Like, I'm just, we met, it's been what? about a year since we've chatted yeah yeah and at that point you were um working on your degree and you just shared with me you just turned in your thesis so i know we weren't planning on talking about this but really quick what are you what what degree are you pursuing Uh, masters of fine arts in interdisciplinary arts with concentrations in performance creation and decolonial arts praxis at goddard college yeah, my MFA title was a lot shorter than that. So it's impressive. <laughs> my master's it's of fine lot. arts. Yeah, I love it. My master's of fine arts was in choreography and teaching. But um, that's fantastic. And yes, congratulations on getting your thesis Thank first you. draft. And like, that's huge. I know. If anybody yeah. knows, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's what, what a feeling. So I want to just dive right in. You know, this podcast is all about dance business, but also us being humans behind the dance business, right? And I just want to know, why did you start your dance business, particularly this dance business? Yeah, the idea for Momentum came when I was teaching at a private um, middle school and high school, and I was teaching both dance and theater, and was realizing that I was spending a ton of time researching to find resources for my classes and not just like oh here's a lesson plan for our class but things that were really for lack of a better word like a hot topic like thinking about how we use touch in class talking about race and culture and gender equity in class and how those integrate with dance and theater and I was able to find things but I was spending a ton of time just researching and researching and researching. And I thought, oh my gosh, it would just be really great if all of this was in one place for teachers. And it's always a complaint that I hear from my colleagues who are teachers. You know, now I teach at the university level, um, but who are particularly still in middle, middle school and high school. That like whenever you go to a professional development day that your school hosts, it has nothing to do with the arts teachers like they can it's always about you know like assessments and textbooks and things that the arts teachers don't 
use or do or that the arts teachers have already been doing because we already do like quote-unquote project-based learning right that's what you do in a dance class or a music class or a theater class you know so it's trying to teach an English teacher how to do project-based learning when that's the stuff that we already embody um so I would say I I want a place I want a place for dance and theater teachers to go to that's like a one-stop shop that they don't have to spend hours upon hours going down Google, trying to find all the things that they need. And if they want to take a professional development class for them, that's about how do we address trans inclusion in productions, that that is the place that we go. So that's Momentum started with just like our homepage and a page for resources of just like, here's all the stuff that I found when I was searching that's available on the internet and just come here and it's all in one place. And yeah, you still have to go click all the links, but at least you don't have to do the hunting. Uh, so that's how we started. And now we have, we still have that page and it grows all the time. We always update it as new things come out and people share new resources with us, but we do virtual classes as well. So everything from a 90 minute workshop to a six week course. And they are geared specifically for dance and theater educators. That is amazing. Okay, I actually was just having flashbacks to my professional development days. I actually used to direct a dance program in a boarding or in residential high school, but I was very closely working with the theater director and my undergrad is in musical theater. So I totally understand what you're saying. And you're right, PD was not supporting that whatsoever. And actually, it would have been amazing to have you as a resource back when I was doing that, because that was something both the theater director and I had trouble finding. We would share resources with each other as we could find them to support. Yeah, that's amazing that you're in this space. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's been really rewarding to see so many teachers from, and because we're virtual, not just the US, but mm -hmm. Canada and England and South Africa and India coming into our space as well. Yeah, that's because, I mean, this is a universal thing that needs to be supported with. It's not, you know, just in one space. The arts are universal, as we all know. Yeah. So, um, okay. So since you went on this journey and discovered this is a space that you wanted to fill, how has your pedagogy changed over your 20 years of teaching? Mm, I think I had a big shift in 2016, which is right before I went back to teaching. I was teaching like 2010 to 2012, and then I took break, and then I went back to teaching in 2016. And I took a class with Bill Evans, um, dance Mm -hmm. teacher and choreographer Bill Evans. And in Bill's class was the first time, and of course, I was like in my early 30s then, the first time as a dance student that I had really experienced agency in class and choice and ownership and not just try to look as much like the teacher as possible try to be as perfect as possible but the class itself was a creative experience and that was so new to me and so exciting to me and was something that I really held then as a value for the classes that I was teaching it's like I wanted class to yes, encourage technical excellence, but to really be a creative experience where students could discover who they were as movers and creators and not just try to be like me. And that was in your early 30s. That was your first time experiencing that? Yeah. Yeah. 
so, so much of dance education is I call it like follow the bouncing teacher just mm. look as much like that teacher as possible do the things that they give you and I know that in my undergrad like they're like I took composition classes and that we had times particularly in modern class where like we could improvise but the structure of Bill's class is such that choice is I don't want to say a constant but it's very layered into every section of class at every point he is encouraging students to make choices that are are right for them and to contribute to the material mm, that's beautiful i love that yeah i um definitely had those experiences in college as well similar like you said you know the the set times that you could be creative and then like you know i would attend I think I've ever, if I ever experienced it, it was more in like the drop-in class. It sounds like it's what you did with Bill Evans, right? Like it wasn't in a traditional, like, I'm going to go take this season of classes here. It's like, these are one-off drop-ins or pop-ups. Yeah. But I also feel like there is a shift heading that way. Maybe it's not as prevalent yet, but we're definitely, I think, adding a lot more ownership, self-ownership in the process of dance training. Which yeah. Is it's really interesting with my university students to to see that like some of them are coming out of really rigorous competition studios mm. and they, so they have never been asked to contribute creatively to their, to their class time. And so to have that as part of their class time, they're like, what is this? Um, but I am <laughs> noticing now this is my third year at this university um, that I do have a, a few students in each class that are, very comfortable improvising, confident in their own choices, have been maybe teaching already, maybe choreographing already, and they've had some more of those creative opportunities in their dance education. Mm, yeah, I actually had a similar experience. I just finished teaching three years at a university in Mississippi, and I would always teach all the dance appreciation courses, which I absolutely love and did intentionally because it's a hands-on it's a little bit lecture but a lot of bit of in studio time and most of our students come like not, they're not dance majors but they might have had some dance experience or they come from the rigorous studio training so very similar yes and those who didn't come from dance backgrounds actually were more open to the creative choices versus those who were just used to like you said following along and it's so interesting to see like handing over the permission and the ownership to them to say this is for you. Like, this is your experience. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's really important at the college level. Mm. I mean, at all levels, but at the college level in particular, where they're deciding like, is dance going to be part of my life past, <laughs> past this? Like not necessarily as a dancer, but as a teacher, as a choreographer, maybe I am still going to dance. Maybe I'm just going to go to the ballet as an audience member um, to give them a more well-rounded image of what it means to be in the dance world i think also just in their life that they now start and they don't really because you know you're going into college if you, you know if anyone who's listening has gone this route you still have structure you have you know but like you don't realize that actually you have more say than you thought you did right because you're so used to coming from like this is your schedule every day and there's some of that in college but i think even translating the, these things in this dance class is helping them realize the skills they're learning to take ownership in the class is going to allow them to apply that in their life. So, yeah. yeah. And just like bodily autonomy. Uh, my, mm. my students always or often say that like my class, even at a university class, it's a place where like, I don't make them ask permission to go in the bathroom. 
but even in the university something they still like sometimes they're, they still have to ask permission but also they're just so conditioned from like two decades of <laughs> asking permission to go to the bathroom and I'm like no this this is actually part of the learning is that you listen to your body and take care of your body and if you just if you have to pee you just go pee like that that's it you don't need to you don't need my permission to be with your body and take care of yourself and that yeah. can be totally wild and revolutionary for them yeah yes I love I feel like we could just do a whole podcast on this maybe I'm bringing you back on and we're gonna just talk about <laughs> yeah that's great autonomy handing autonomy over permission to college students teaching them I feel like we just found another topic for a later podcast great it's okay. what much of my thesis is okay um, I'm so ready <laughs> well I do want to um shift to maybe a little bit heavier topic well I mean it could be heavier, also very enlightening so I know that a trauma-informed teaching is important for you. And I want to share that it's not something I really became aware of until my journey becoming a dance mindset and business coach was I became aware of trauma-informed coaching. And that's, a, that's an educational journey I am now on to expand my awareness of that to help make sure I'm not hurting or hindering, but supporting and creating the space to make sure that I'm actually I'm optimizing my clients' experiences with me. and. Uh, I really want to know more about your thoughts on trauma-informed teaching and maybe like let's all the things. Do you want to share like how you came aware of it or like whatever's coming up for you? Sure. Share. Let's dive into this. <laughs> yeah. Trauma-informed teaching came across my radar, I guess, when I um, began my intimacy choreography training, because that's a, it's a value and a skill set that they ask of us in our training is um, trauma-informed work. And so I started, you know, doing some research and you take mental health first aid and you're supposed to read all of, all of the books about like polyvagal theory and all of that. And I find the science to be interesting and validating for why this work is important, but also not the most important part of this work. Like sometimes we can get really caught into the like sciencey part of it, but it's like, it's about being with people and being able to take care of people in the moment and not traumatize them or reactivate a trauma for them. And it became very clear to me in 2020, the 2021 school year, I was teaching middle school again, but we were totally online. Mm -hmm. And it became really clear to me that these students were definitely experiencing some trauma as they were separated from each other and trying to like figure out their life in middle school like middle school's so hard anyway <laughs> and then like we have a pandemic and you're separated from your social sphere and you're only interacting online and online has its own trauma to deal with and bullying and social expectations and all that uh, and then a student who had graduated from that middle school program um, was killed in a car accident and it really affected the students that I had in the program, like mm -hmm. very, very viscerally, um, because many of them had been had been friends. And this seeing their desire to work through some of that with dance for some of them was really cathartic. But for some of them was very harmful. And so it was, and it wasn't just that topic of like death but also things like eating disorders mm. and bullying 
social media bullying and body image in dance. They, they wanted to make dances about these things, which their final project for all of them was, was choreographing a dance. And to be able to give them the tools to say like, this is going to be good for me because I can work through these feelings, but then I need to have some closure practices. So we talk about well, like, what does it mean to leave work at work, leave dance at dance, you know, that this is part of my creative process. And so maybe I need to be feeling some of these things and thinking some of these things, but this is not what I need to be spending my whole world on. And if it starts to invade my space when I'm outside of here, how do I deal with that? So we looked at closure practices and for some of them, it was like, taking their hair down because hair had to be up for dance class. So at the end, their hair could come down. And that was just a physical ritual of now I'm not in that space anymore. Or like taking off their ballet slippers and putting it away. And for some of them, it was, I have to go write down what I created today. And once I write down what I created today, I'm done with this for today. And I can, I can move on. So we talked about closure practices. And then we also talked about content warnings for our audience that I told them, like, I'm never going to tell an artist, you can't make what you want to make. An artist should always be able to make what they want to make, but not every audience has to partake of that. (laughs) And then your audience gets to make a choice too. Like you as the artist made a choice to make this thing but your audience gets to make a choice about whether or not they want to see this thing. So we had to work on what are content warnings so we can tell our audience what they're going to see without like explaining everything Mm -hmm. in a way that gives them the choice so that they can take care of themselves and they don't feel bad about it or weird about it, but they know that they've been empowered to do that. So working with them made it so clear to me that this is a a skill set that teachers really need. And I had some of it already from my intimacy training, but I felt like I didn't have enough. I felt like I didn't have enough. So I started taking more classes and doing more trainings. And Molly W. Shank of Graybox Collective is really specialized in trauma-informed creative practices. Mm. So she works with specifically dancers and and theater artists around trauma-informed creation and what that Mm. looks like. So I took her classes and I realized that so much of consent forward work and trauma-informed work are the same. Mm. That if we're really giving people the opportunity to consent, they're probably not going to be traumatized, whether it's a student or a dancer or an audience member. If they really had the opportunity to get the information about what they're going to experience to decide whether it's right for them without any pressure or influence or fear of a consequence, then they're probably going to enter that space ready to deal with it. And that if they find out that actually they weren't as ready to deal with it as they thought, that they will feel safe enough to say, time out. I need, I need a second to, to deal with that because consent is actually really at the heart of it. Like if someone's experienced a trauma, they had choice taken away. No one chooses trauma. That's not anyone's choice. So if we give people the choice about how they engage with things, it's super empowering. 
and revalidates that ability and helps eliminate some of that fear of re-experiencing, re-traumatizing, all of that. So I started really diving in and seeing these connections between consent forward work and trauma informed work and going, yeah, all of this, all of this, and just layering in a little bit more knowledge. Um, and again, Molly's work, especially for dance folks, I cannot recommend enough. Well, say, who would it, say one more time because people were wanting to catch that and missed it. Molly W. Shank and the Gray Box Collective. Okay. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, I can't help but then think if we as dance educators, you know, creative educators learn about trauma informed teaching, we in reduce causing trauma, which then is going to help eliminate this more. Cause I mean, I'm just thinking back to my dance training growing up. Right. And there's a little, lot of trauma from my dance training because we didn't have a choice there wasn't that because our teachers didn't know because they came from that it's just that cycle right and we don't want to think that that's in the arts but most likely if you're listening to this you have at least one experience you can relate to if not you (laughs) are one fortunate soul (laughs) who made it through unscathed but i mean I'm, i'm just processing right now out loud that that would be an amazing cycle breaker right to help start the dialogue and you know I know that unfortunately, because I've been teaching for over 20 years, I know that unfortunately I have caused trauma as an educator because I just didn't know. And I was yep. but I, I, on my own, if I've tried to break that cycles, I became more informed. But if we can get to the point to where we don't even have to pass on any yeah. trauma inducing activities or you know, at least intent, no, just trying to be conscious of that. Yeah. That'd be so powerful and well, where all of our experiences with dance and creativity and movement like what would then what would then just be the overall outcome for each individual if they are not coming from trauma-informed places just even in the studio like oh my gosh so powerful yeah and it's why at momentum like we offer some pedagogy courses and they are centered around power dynamics and how they show up in performance arts training spaces consent and trauma, like all of our pedagogy courses incorporate those things because those are really the things that regardless of what level of dancer you have, regardless of what style of dance you have, they will benefit a teacher so, so much and that will benefit their students. And then then we change the world. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you forget too, right? Like even out me as a coach, like, you don't know how many people you're going to end up helping impact just by you with people in front of you, right? So when someone thinks like, oh, there's only five who showed up to my workshop, well, you don't know how many people those five are going to go impact. And if you are able to help shift that dialogue with that one person, right? And then they go to their hundred people. Like I think about having, I still have those teachers I remember for positive reasons, right? That impacted a way I thought, like you just said the Bill Evans course, right? Like one one interaction shifted so much for you and that has impacted your path forward. And we all have that capacity. We all impact, even if you think it's a small, you're like, oh, it's only five people. Oh no, we're causing waves, waves. So if it can be in this way, that is so powerful. I think I'm that's feel- why I really, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling like energy. I'm like, woo, let's go change the world, Nicole. Let's, let's do, do this. It. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking a quick break from my chat with Nicole. Are you a dance leader, CEO, entrepreneur with an established dance business? And you know that you want to up-level how you show up in your life personally and professionally? 
but you're not sure how to do that. You hear terms like manifestation, working with masculine and feminine energy, just having better systems in your business, being able to set boundaries and putting yourself first without feeling shame or regret or resentfulness. The Dance CEO University is for you if you desire that. This group coaching program is set to support all the members, no more than six in each group for the intimate experience for a total of six months. 18 group calls, six one-on-one -on -one calls with myself, ongoing support in Marco Polo, but ultimately what you're getting out of it is community with those who understand and get what your challenges are, supporting you and rooting for you in your journey. Let me help you in the Dance CEO University become the best version of yourself as the CEO in your life and business. To learn more and reserve your seat, go to thedanceceocoach.com slash dance-ceo-university or you can find the link in the show notes. really like working with teachers so much is like because you know you're changing like we know that teachers change the world so if you're if you're working with a teacher and shifting their mindset or changing something about how they deliver even if it's just one teeny thing it's changing mm -hmm. so many lives over the course of their career like so yep. many lives in one class and so many lives in the course of their career yeah. and I find it just really really exciting to work to work with teachers. Like I love teaching myself, the students that I have, but I really love teaching teachers. Yeah, I am. I feel the same. I really enjoy being an educator. I find it very, you know, I continue to grow in that, but I feel the most um, value in working with my clients and especially around the mindset because I mean, all of us, right. That encompasses so much, especially growing up in the dance world that, but I see every one of the people I've worked with and just how they finally are able to own what they're capable of and who they are that, that mm. it shifts everything for them and i just see how they show up as different human beings personally and professionally and i'm just like okay I can't, i'm not ready to retire yet but like <laughs> i've done i've done some magic and i mean if you think about like all those listening right now for me i'm normally a podcast listener in a car so like i picture like if you're right now you're driving a, you're listening to our dialogue like just take a moment and just think like, okay, I was just being down on myself because this one thing I tried to do was not very successful. I only had a few show up or I've only had like small classes this season or whatever. Like you have no idea what the waves are that are starting. So shift that dialogue into I've impacted a few people, maybe even one person, and I've changed their course on one thing. And then that's going to impact all the people they interact with. So like, it's okay to think, you know what, just kidding, just because it's not a 1000 people or so many, right? Like, I've done some life changing things, because yeah. I'm putting in the effort. And that's huge. Okay, well, Nicole, <laughs> I feel like we can wrap up now. Thank you so much. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Check. Okay, you you changed me again. Thank you for letting me think about it in this capacity. My mind is blown. I can we can be done. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like I mean, you sound very much like the lifelong learner, which I think a lot of us are her educators. So now I'm curious to know, what are some things that you're still learning? Like, what are some areas you're focusing in now with that? Yeah, well, over the past uh, two and a half years, uh, it's really been looking into like unsettled, unsettling, yes, unsettling, <laughs> um, <laughs> like decolonizing practices. But because I am a white person, I cannot decolonize I can only unsettle which I love because I love the double entendre-ness of that like ah, yeah let's go unsettle some people that would be good <laughs> good to be unsettled sometimes 
Okay, uh, so I actually want to pause you again. This is not where we planned on going, but will you expand a little bit on the two terms you just used? Because I wonder if some people might be like, wait, what are we talking about? Yeah. I, I think decolon decolonizing is more common than unsettling. So maybe if we could get some clarity. Yeah, decolonizing. And this is maybe a semantical thing and not necessarily a like, everyone thinks this thing. Um, but I have a colleague and friend, uh, Tara Moses, that is an indigenous person. And she always says that like, if you are not an indigenous person, you cannot decolonize. You can only unsettle. And so I tend to go with that version just because that's, I know something that's important to someone who is important to me. Right. So I, I uphold that um, in, in my right. conversations. Um, but the idea of decolonizing really goes to the idea of like land back. And that can be upsetting for some folks to think about like, what if we didn't have land? Um, but it's not that the indigenous people want to take all of our land and treat us as we have treated them, uh, settlers here in the United States, um, but rather the ideas of, although they would take it, they would take our land, please. Like if we gave it back, they would be happy to take it and care for it. But that idea of stewardship and relationship and being in relationship with the land and being in right relationship with all of the people around you and your ancestors and an indigenous way of system of knowledge is one that's really focused on reciprocal relationships. Mm -hmm. And so getting into an unsettled way of knowing is one that would center indigenous ways of knowing and learning and doing. So for me, that really comes down to relationships with students, with collaborators, with the land, with my family, being in right relationship with my human family and my more than human family at all times. Thank you. So what is your goal then? Is your like now that like you like just turned your thesis in like what <laughs> like what with where you're at now with learning these yeah. things like what's the path you're on now as a learner? Yeah. Uh, now it's really like putting some of these things into practice. Um, I've been creating a lot more site-specific work and here in South Florida, it's, we've been looking at the mangroves. Uh, last year I made a piece in the mangroves and this year mm. we're making a piece in the Everglades. So looking at some site-specific work and how, how our relationships to land can inform our artwork and how our artwork can then inform people's relationship to land as they encounter it maybe in a, in a new way by seeing dancers in the Everglades instead of the Everglades as like a swamp of alligators, right? Um, <laughs> also, that, just that sound, that sentence sounds really pretty. Dancers in the Everglades. Uh, I live in New Orleans. I'm actually currently in Jacksonville, Florida right now. So north of you, but also yeah. very much, yes. It's like that is a bayou or a swamp with alligators. <laughs> like, yeah. Which are cool, but yes. not always artistic it's not right. always your like your go-to artistic view <laughs> no you're like that is nature running yeah. its course <laughs> yeah and so how, how might our relationships to nature change when we see when we just see it differently instead of just like taking a walk through the everglades or driving through the everglades when we really see it as 
a partner to a dancer mm. or a part of art. Like the earth is art. It's nature is amazing. Right? What if we really saw it like that instead of, oh, here's this inconvenient thing that we have to drive around in the middle of Florida, right? <laughs> <Like if> we, <laughs> we thought about that way. So putting it into practice in my artwork um, has become really sort of where I'm, where I'm headed. And it has the practice of thinking about unsettling and being in right relationship has changed the kind of artwork that I make, that I am really interested in being out in nature and not making pieces for the stage. And I'm also really interested in making collaborative pieces that I'm the choreographer only in the sense that I provide like movement seeds and then the dancers go mm. from there. And then, you know, we kind of curate them and figure out what we're keeping and what we're not. And if mm -hmm. that's really the movement quality that we want, and that it, the whole process has also become much more collaborative in my, in my art making and thinking about being in a reciprocal relationship mm -hmm. with dancers and then trying to bring that to my pedagogy as well. I'm doing something totally bonkers this year and that we're doing ungrading. I'm not grading my students, they're grading themselves. And they're I wish grading, I could, yeah. They're grading themselves with the ideas of like, what, what are my goals in this class and how am I learning them? And how do I know that I'm learning them? How do I know I'm making progress towards my goal? What does it feel like in my body? Which is another indigenous, way of knowing somatic knowing is an indigenous way of knowing and it's something that only really since the 60s and 70s have white folks had a fascination with somatics whether it's yoga or feldenkrais you know, that these people have really appropriated ancient embodiment practices and have packaged them in different ways and i wrote a whole piece about this for dance guys if people want to find it it's in <laughs> October 21's Dance Geist, I think. Um, and so really bringing to my students this idea of embodiment as a way of knowing mm -hmm. and as a valid way of knowing and as equal to learning facts and figures and being able to regurgitate them back is knowing the sensations of our body and what mm. that's telling us about ourselves and about the relationships that we're in with the people that are around us or the world around us. And then mm. hopefully bring some of that to, to momentum as well. You know, we've had um, two land acknowledgement workshops in the past specifically for arts educators and arts organizations of like, what did these look like um, for artistic organizations or programs and why are they important? And how do you do them, quote unquote, right? Um, so that it's not just performative, which it can be, and cultural competency workshops for educators and, again, arts organizations and looking at, you know, how do we really make artwork that is meaningful to our community, not mm -hmm. just something that we hope our community comes to see. <laughs> Fingers and toes crossed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You are clearly blazing a path. Love it. So good. Um, okay. Well, now that makes me want to see how all of those beliefs you have, how do they, I want to transition a little bit into now running your business, you know, as the CEO and how that shows up for you daily. How does with all this philosophy and pedagogy and all of that, you now practice and believe, how does that influence 
your morning and or nighttime routines on your day to day? Do you have any? And if so, what does that look like? So I teach at the university two days a week. I'm there Tuesdays and Thursdays. So my Monday, Wednesday, Friday is kind of different from my Tuesday, Thursday mm -hmm. routine, um, just with <laughs> like the balance of that. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday tend to be the days that I work on momentum stuff. And just in terms of like thinking about the business side of momentum and like making enough money that we can pay our teachers. That's, that's really like the value that I hold for momentum because for a nonprofit, it's not like I'm out to make millions. You know, I would take it if someone wanted to give it to me, but <laughs> that's not <laughs> what we're doing. Like the goal for momentum is always to be able to pay our teachers fairly for mm -hmm. the time that they have given. And that's really it. Like I do a lot of the admin work as as a volunteer <laughs> for <Yep>. volunteer <laughs> hours and, and like tax write-offs and stuff. Uh, and then I get paid for teaching when I teach at Momentum, but that's really the goal for Momentum is to be able to pay their teachers who are artists and educators a living wage and not just be like, here's 20 bucks, thanks for your class, but to really pay them well for mm. bringing their, their time and expertise to our community. So that is always the first thing that I'm looking at in terms of like business stuff. And that has caused a little bit of a shift in our pricing over the past like three months, actually, we've changed it. And mm. that um, we used to have all of our Monday night workshops and we do one or two. It's usually the second Monday of every month is a 90 minute workshop. And sometimes it's more like this fall, we're actually doing two a month instead of just one. And instead of, it used to be just donation based. You could sign up on Eventbrite and pick a price, any price, including zero. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was that that wasn't actually equitable. That may mm. be working out great for the audience who <laughs> was right. zero but it actually was not honoring our teacher's expertise mm -hmm. and time to have mm -hmm. someone say, I'm going to pay zero. And so what we have done is a sliding scale that we call pay what feels fair. And we ask people to evaluate the fact that the teacher is there with expertise and time and their own financial needs. And that both of those things can and should coexist. Mm -hmm. And then but for that to be true, that means you have to put a dollar amount on it. So our sliding scale actually starts at $2, which covers the credit card fees and processing fees on mm -hmm. our recommended ticket price of $10 to $20. So somebody's $2 ticket helps cover somebody else's credit card fees so that we really get the money that we expect to get. So we kind of have a range of $2 to $22. And then you can pick your own price above that. And I feel like that's been, that's just been really important for us to just be transparent about it mm -hmm. in our communications with our audience and has helped our teachers feel really valued. Mm. And I think has helped our audience value our programming more because they see that we are taking care of our teachers and that we're working hard to bring them really quality things. Like we don't bring crap. We bring good stuff. <laughs> so, 
but that was a big shift because when we started in 2020, everything was, um, all of our workshops were donation-based courses had a sliding scale tuition, which they still do, but the workshops were donation-based. So that's been a big shift. And it actually took, it took a lot of time in the month of July, actually, of you know, really talking to the board about it and why this was going to, why I felt like this was really the right thing to do. And then communicating it to our audience in a couple of different formats and then changing over everything in our event system to no longer go to Eventbrite and do all of that. So July actually was all of all of that stuff. Uh, I think the, is, the redoing the back end work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But now we've been doing that for a few months and it's been, it's been good. We've still been able to pay our teachers. That was a small fear that I had is that even with the donation base, we had lots of people doing stuff for free, but we were still getting enough that we could always pay our teachers. And I had a fear that when we didn't allow people to come for free, that we would get less, less signups. And that just, it hasn't been the case. It just hasn't been the case. We've been able to continue to pay our teachers well and continue to do our classes. Mm, yes. So, that's, that's I know beautiful. this was supposed to be about routine. No, this is okay. No, until I, you know, <laughs> I, totally I, I, no, I love it. This is clearly something passion in your heart. And also it really gives insight in one example of a back end process of a business structure. And um, I love that you also just address the fear side of it, which is us as humans running our business, right? And you you just shared that you were afraid that it was going to hurt, not help your business structure when you were trying to shift the value of what your business message is. And you just found that it's actually only helping. And that, and that that's giving it a trial run and trusting that your desire for your business and the model of it can support each other. And, I and think that's, that's beautiful. so important too, is just like, it's a, it's a trial run, right? Like if it didn't mm -hmm. work, I could always change it. I would always be like, oh, we're going to go back to Eventbrite. And like, okay, it would be more time and annoying stuff for me. To do. It's not a terrible, horrible, painful risk to just try something because everything yeah. can be temporary. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing has to yeah. be permitted. Yeah. And I just, I felt like it was really worth trying because we're over here espousing equity and justice and yet we're saying that you can like take advantage of people's time and expertise for free and because we hire a lot of educators of color because that's another value that we have is that our space is open um, for educators of color who particularly in dance and theater don't always get the platforms um, and get the opportunities I also felt like that was really it was not a good message to be like, just take people's stuff for free. It's really good that you checked in and make sure that how you're presenting your structures is aligned with the message of your business. And that is so key because, I mean, I, there's so many trial and error experiences for me that are trial and error versus trial and <laughs> success, right? Like, And uh, normally it was more based out of like some superficial gain I wanted versus is this aligned with the long-term message and vision I have. And so always making sure that those things are coinciding with each other and supporting each other really helps long the longevity of a business structure. You might learn that what you thought might be it isn't it. And then mm -hmm. you're like, okay, it's good to know because failure teaches us things, right? And you didn't fail at the business. You This thing is no longer working. So actually, in fact, you won. Just because the model didn't work doesn't mean it right. was a failure. Yeah. So I love that you were like, let's go for it. It's been a one month of my life doing this, but now the impact <laughs> is going to be so much better for it. Right. Yes. I, I really think so. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, 
Well, I want to know for you running your business, because you just voiced a lot, like you have a lot of hats, <laughs> as we all do, right? <laughs> Who run our businesses. What is the strength you have with running your business? Hmm. Two things, I think. One is that I really like routine. And so I like the fact that like, we have a system of like every Monday, the newsletter goes out, which I also have recently just changed to that. It used to be Monday mornings, like between eight and nine. And I've started, it's maybe not the healthiest choice. I've started doing it Mondays, like between midnight and 1am. So that way it is in people's email box, like when they wake up, instead of coming in when all the beginning of business Monday emails are coming in. I actually like to send mine on Tuesday, Monday afternoon or Tuesdays because I, I don't read most of the Monday morning emails because there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like with our Monday night workshops, I want it there to remind people like sign up for this thing that's tonight. (laughs) Love it. So I, we've just started playing with a different time structure again after like three years of doing it one way of finding finding what what's working um but just having that kind of routine of this is when that happens so all the stuff has to be done by then and like I do our schedules in quarters and so I know that you know in August at the end of August I'm going to be looking at our quarter for October November December and getting Mm -hmm. all of that set and lined up with the goal of having it set before Labor Day, so then I can spend September really boosting the new stuff that's coming in in quarter four. So just having routines and calendars is so, so good. It's really it's how my brain works, and I find it really helpful, especially because I'm doing multiple things. That it's that routine and systems just gives it. Oh right, I did that thing, and I actually found out today that I didn't do something that I thought I had did, <laughs> and that was like really upsetting. I was like, "Oh my gosh, how did I not do this?" Uh, I had built all the events on Facebook, but I had never hit publish because I had built them ahead of time, and was like, "You have to publish those next week," and then just I slipped. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, we're human. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is one, and then. Uh, this sounds terrible to say, actually. This uh, like humility, <laughs> but I just own it. That's good. <laughs> I'm gonna brag about it. Uh, <laughs> like some of our best business partners and connections come from the humility to just say, like, how can we help? you like the dance education equity association is one of our best partners and it came from a conversation where i was like hey i think what you're doing is awesome can i promote it in my newsletter to like which at the time was like 400 people you know like now it's three times that size at the time it was nothing uh and 400 is still a lot (laughs) yes (laughs) for those who have even smaller than that it's still a lot of people that's a lot of people in one room that you're impacting they want you because yes i look at that bigger email and i'm like i don't even know if these people want this (laughs) yeah but i mean remember even 400 people in one room with you is a lot of people wanting your information so don't don't knock it down That's that's my mindset and power. I'm like, sure. don't do like it. it. Yes. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, so yeah, just like reaching out to people and asking how we can help them and really wanting to help them and not use them to promote our agenda or use them to further our agenda, but like seeing like 
they have something really cool going on and we think more people should know about it. So we want to use the platform that we do have to help that be true. And it's really the same thing like with some of our educators, like just audacious asking, but also humility of like, do you want to do this thing? We think you're super cool and we would like you to do this thing. But if, if you don't want to, it's okay. But we just, we think what you're doing is really awesome and we want you to be a part of it with us. I love that. <laughs> That's actually what this podcast is. Everyone I've on this podcast, like you and I connected, we just chatted one time and I was like, Nicole, <laughs> I think what you're doing is really cool and you don't have to, but would you like to come and share on my platform? Because I think what you're doing is important. Other people can hear about it. So yes, yeah, totally. We do at Momentum creating change conversations every summer where we have like a slightly different topic and we do one a month. And so May is usually around race and June for Pride Month is usually around gender and July is around disability and neurodiversity. And then August is always for educators. And we have a different panel. I love and it. I have been really, really blessed and lucky that, that that's another section of audacious asking where I, I'm like, I ask big name people <laughs> be like do you want to be on this panel for really not very much money but again we pay everybody for their time that's a value that we have is that artists need to get paid so everybody gets paid but not a lot um to just for come now. And talk about your experience <laughs> and so many people say yes because mm. they they want the world to be better too they want to be able to use yes. their experience to change somebody's life to make it a little bit better because they've been part of the dance or theater world and have seen something go awry and have thoughts on it. And so just to be able to give them space. And that's also something that's of value in our conversations is that only the panelists talk. The audience does not get to engage. Engage. Mm. So that the panelists are really there to share what is important to them that people know about their embodied experience as a disabled artist or whatever. So that that's really, that's also really important to us is that the audience shows up and learns what they learn, but that the space is really for the panelists to be able to share what, what they're passionate about. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Well, Nicole, where can people find you online the momentum stage? Yes, it is MomentumStage.org. Awesome. And do you have any social media platforms? We are Momentum Stage FL. Florida, on, okay. Yeah, for Florida. Because we originally thought we were just, we were going to like have a website and do a lot of Florida things. Um, and we, you did our 501c3 paperwork in 2018. And then I was doing my lab on certification and 2019 and so we didn't do a lot in 2019 and I was like really ready to go in 2020 when I finished that certification I was like ready to launch programming and then pandemic and it really shifted things for us in a cool way like mm. we never would have I don't think done the virtual classes that now our whole community is all around the world and not just Florida right. but all of our all of our social media stuff is momentum stage fl but we are momentum stage fl on facebook and instagram and twitter i'll be honest that our twitter is only for the newsletters on mondays like it just <laughs> automatically okay. goes there and that's what happens on twitter that's for okay. us 
Um, you optim- you automated a system, so yep. it works. <laughs> it's, it's just what happens over on Twitter. So <laughs> if you're looking for new and exciting hot takes, that's not the place. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> our Instagram and Facebook are a lovely automated system, and they do update every day. <laughs> so good. That's so good. That's smart. That's good business structure. Um, one final question for you. What does it mean to be the CEO of your life and business? To be ready to embrace change. I think mm. from Gar Bartinian, the quote from her is the only constant is change. Mm-hmm. That it's going to happen. It's going to need to happen. Sometimes whether you want it or not, or you're ready mm-hmm. for it or not. And just to be ready to embrace that change and see where it goes because at least for momentum, the times that we have pivoted, it's worked out really, really beautifully and more exciting and rich and rewarding than I could have anticipated or than I would have found if I just tried to do the thing the way that I thought it was going to be Mm. or the way that I had already seen modeled for me. And was like, oh, it can be like this. You know, I thought we were going to be like a youth theater company that Mm -hmm. did some workshops for teachers on the side. And that's, that's not what we have become at all. Like we've really become actually right back to where it started, which is how do we support teachers who are working with young people? And mm. it's, it's circled back around. So I think that's probably the other part of it is like, keep your alignment. <laughs> if that's what you feel aligned with beginning, really continue to focus on seeing if you're still aligned with what you're doing. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here and sharing with us all the momentum stage and your journey. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Dance CEO Podcast, where aspiring or established dance business owners and entrepreneurs learn to become the CEO of your life and business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and rating. To stay up to date and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me, your host, on Instagram at the Dance CEO Coach. Until next time.